So glad everyone's here. Um, like, like Chris said, our, our lead pastor is running a triathlon. Um, our pastors, we have so many interesting pastors, you guys. Our lead pastor is running a triathlon. More than likely, one of our other pastors is speaking in tongues and brewing a beer at the same time. Uh, another pastor is probably like leading some project at Oak Ridge to, to change the world. I feel kind of underqualified when I'm up here, um, but, but I'm happy to be here. Think back with me real quick to 2004, All right? There is a random spike in clinical depression all across America. Scientists, psychologists, psychiatrists, they couldn't figure it out. Two, three months go by. They have no idea why all these people have clinical depression. They finally, after four or five months, they, they kind of narrow it down. They figure out that it's between, it's guys and girls between ages 18 and 34, Right, but they still don't know. Is it like, is it some drug that's on the market that's not there anymore and everyone's like going crazy? Is it environmental? Is it the weather? No one knows what's going on. All they know is that there's a lot of young people who are depressed. So six, seven, eight months go by, nine months. And finally, they figure out what's going on. Check it out. The TV show Friends ended. Seriously. You know the one that made Jennifer Aniston famous? I kind of liked it back in the day, but... Um, the show ended, right? And there were so many people, maybe you can relate with them, they had no genuine friendships in real life, no genuine relationships. They kind of had this fake relationship with the people on the screen. And when it ended, it was like their friend or family had died. And, and they got depressed. Right? There's this one episode, you might remember it. It was called The One with the Stoned Guy. Uh, there's a guest character, you might remember him, the movie Rat Race. Um, the, the dad in the, in the movie... His, him and his family steal Hitler's car. You might remember that scene in the movie. They steal Hitler's car. This guy's the guest character in Friends. And he's kind of a goofy guy. He's kind of like a functioning alcoholic. Um, everyone thinks he's hilarious. He meets all the friends, right? And the first thing he says is, um, tartlet. It didn't even make any sense. He's kind of intoxicated, right? Um, and everyone just starts laughing. Like, what is this guy talking about? He's like, I'm hungry. I want a tartlet. And the whole episode, every time you see this dude, He's saying tartlet, right? So at first it's like funny, like, oh, what are you talking about? You're funny, you're whatever. And then by the end, though, he keeps saying it, and it's not funny anymore, right? And by the end, they're just kind of ignoring him, right? Here's the thing, guys. What if we do that with the power of God, right? What if we know in our minds, some of you, even those of you who are searching, you're skeptical, you're figuring this thing out, what if you know in your mind that there's a God who's powerful, what if deep down in our hearts, what if in your heart, my heart, what if we hate his power? What if we intentionally push it away, right? Here's the problem, friends. You don't understand power. I don't understand power. I know that. We think we do, but we don't. We forget how powerful God is, what power is, what our relationship is with God's power. Do we have power? Do we not have power? And there's a bunch of different ways we can go. I kind of want to put a spectrum here. We tend to go one of two ways. On the one hand, we hoard power. We abuse it, right? And this is easy to spot. You know this. Hitler, Stalin, people who abuse their power. They use it in destructive ways to walk over the hurting and the poor and the oppressed, right? But we do it too. I mean, sure, we might go to church and smile, but we do the same thing. We live life for our own glory, our own kingdom, our own power, 
Our whole goal is to look good in front of people, whether it's our looks or our reputation, whatever it might be. We live to gain our own power. Or on the opposite side, we neglect power, right? This is so much harder to spot. And legacy, we lean here, by the way. So those of you who are new, we actually call out and challenge and encourage our own people so we can grow. If we're not careful, we neglect power. When we're on this side, we think we're humble, we think we're holy, we think we're gospel-centered, simply because we're living a boring, comfortable, power-free life where nothing exciting is happening, right? Ooh, look at us, right? We either abuse power or we neglect power. Both are dangerous, not just the first one, right? I was, uh, when I'm studying or when, when, whatever I'm doing, I always I have like a three-step system. I have the Bible here, I have like the study software here, and ESPN here. That's like my little command center right here. And the other day, I was, I don't know what station I had on on Pandora, um, but I'm just like in the zone studying or whatever. And I realized that for like 30 minutes, the music wasn't playing, right? And all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, I just come to, right? And it says, are you still listening? Yes, I am, right? Here's the thing. Some of you guys haven't been listening to God for like years when it comes to his power, okay? And I've gone seasons like that too. And here's the thing. We're missing out on some amazing things we could be knowing and experiencing with God, with this specific attribute about him, with his power. There was someone who didn't understand it pretty well. Uh, This is going to be the main text that drives it today. This is 2 Corinthians. It's a letter written by a dude named Paul. Um, He's a great guy. For those of you who might not be aware, he was like the, uh, the dude who took the message of Jesus to the world, to people who never heard of him. And part of what you've got to like about Paul, whether or not you're religious or spiritual, um, is just his individuality. Um, in this letter, you see a man who on the surface is very powerful. He's, he has a lot of authority. Uh, but you see him um, being human, being real, being transparent with people. You see his human weakness his spiritual strength, a tender of affection for people. You see wounded feelings. You see a sternness with his people. You see him ironic with people, funny. You see him rebuking people. He has a just self-respect, a zeal for power in his people. And I just love it. You just see the full spectrum of the emotional experience with Paul, and I can connect with that because I'm a pretty emotional person myself. Maybe you are too. Right? Well, I want to do real quick, I want to suck us into the story. Right? That didn't sound right, but I want you to get into the story. Right? 2 Corinthians, right? So Paul had written this letter to the Corinthians. um, The first letter, 1 Corinthians. It was a church in Corinth. That was a city in the Middle East, right? And guys, seriously, this church, it was like a freak fest. Like if you were there, if I were there, we would not go back, right? They were getting drunk at the communion table. They're having sex with prostitutes at church, according to some historians. There's this huge spiritual gift Everyone's trying to be all high and mighty and holy. This church was crazy. You'd call it a cult, more than likely. But Paul, he loved his people. He started this church. He went off and planted another church, but he heard about what was going on. And he was like, I've got I to gotta write a letter. These are, my, these are my people. I'm leading them. I want them to know God. And so he wrote them a letter in 1 Corinthians. Um, those of you who are like, oh my gosh, I, I want to read the Bible. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Read First and Second Corinthians this week, Okay. Don't read it. Don't get all spiritual. Like, just read it like a story. Read it like a book. It's a beautiful piece of literature, right? You'll see in the first letter that Paul is pretty, pretty firm, pretty intense. He's encouraging, too. 
Um, but there are some very intense times. He's having to guide his people back to God. Right? But here in 2 Corinthians, it's amazing. In chapters 1 through 9, it's so encouraging. He's so encouraging to his people. Talking about who they are, how God sees them, what they're called to. Just a kind of warm, fatherly tone. Um, apparently things had changed. Apparently Corinth was, was back to seeing God clearly again. Right? But here's what happens. In chapters 10 through 12, which is where we're at today, you guys, it's like Paul, like, I don't even know what happened. He goes from completely positive in chapters 1 through 9 to just, like, calling them out, intense, real, raw. Um, he would not fit into churches in the South, I don't think. And it, it catches me off guard. You're like, bro, like, did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Did you not take something? Like, what's going on? Um, here's the thing, guys. Um, this time, it's not drunkenness and, or sexual situations going on. Um, Paul got word that leaders were actively turning the Corinthian people away from Paul. They're telling that the leaders were telling the Corinthians, you can't trust Paul. Right? Paul, he's just, he's just high and mighty. He's just all about his power. He's all about his authority. He's just trying to control you. He's just trying to parent you. You need to do what you want to do as long as it makes you happy, Corinth. Your truth is your truth, Corinth. That's what these leaders were telling the people. You can't trust Paul. He's out to get you. He's a tyrant, right? And if you're Paul, I mean, you love these people. I mean, that's bad news. You're getting turned against your own people, right? Well, remember, um, in Genesis, this is actually exactly how the devil talked to Adam and Eve. So for those of you who are like, man, I can't believe in God. I, I just don't know how he can be good and powerful. I, don't, I, I, just, I can't put those two things together. Consider that you're believing the same thing that the snake said in Genesis. You remember? That's what the snake said. You can't really. Did God really say that? You can't trust God. God just doesn't want to give you things. God's just a tyrant. You can't trust him. That's what the leaders are doing in Corinth. They're telling him to distrust God. But here's the thing, guys. I want you to put yourself in this situation. It's very dramatic. Right, if you're Paul, right, you know you have to lead your people. If you come in too strong, if you lay down the law, what's going to happen? They're just going to go, told you, told you, Paul. Hi, mighty Paul. Just trying to, trying to get you, trying to control you, trying to manipulate you. He can't do that. He'll play into what they're already saying and doing. But he can't come in too weak either. He can't be like, hey guys, what do you think about possibly reconsidering that course of action? I know it's com- it comes across like you're leading people straight, but maybe I'm just not seeing it. Let me butter you up with like three compliments here real quick. And, and maybe at some point you can possibly change your mind. He can't do that. He can't be a coward. The glory of God's at stake. Eternity's at stake here. He can't do that. So what's he going to do? It's like a lose-lose, isn't it? Too strong, he loses. Too weak, he loses. He's going to do what he always does. And I don't know why I forget this all the time. I don't know why we forget this. He's going to preach about what Jesus has done. Something has happened. It's finished. And it applies to this situation right here, right now. And Paul's going to apply it faithfully and skillfully to this situation, right? 
And here's the thing. It, it turns our values upside down, guys. What Paul does is he makes known, I'm kind of painting the situation right here. He makes known how an infinite God entered into mankind as a fragile, weak man to save it. Have you ever thought about that? If God wanted to, I guess he could have just screamed from the heavens, like, repent now. I guess he could have been like an annoying street preacher if he wanted to, right? But he, he humbly entered the world, an infinite God, as a fragile man. And that's what Paul does here. Though he is, you know, he's the top dog. I mean, he's, he's the top of the corporate ladder. He, he enters the situation as a humble man. And it, it would have been really weird. Like, I don't, I don't know if we would have known what was going on if we were there. I mean, Paul starts talking about how, how weak he is, and, and he talks about his sins and his, and his neediness and his desperation. It's like, can you picture, like, someone in a lot of authority doing that? It kind of, like, threw you off a little bit. Right? And then he starts talking about, stay with me, because there's where we're about to really get into it. Um, he starts talking about how he has a physical ailment. That's the context here. Right? Something that hurts him on a day-to-day basis. Some of you guys know this. You have pain every day. It might be your back, it might be your knee, headaches, legs, fibromyalgia, mental health issues, right? I know a lot of us have those. I think everyone has those. Um, Paul starts talking about a physical issue that he has. And he says that he asked God to take it away from him three times. He asked God to take this, this pain away from him. Most, most people think it was a physical pain. And God said no. Think about it. Those of you, physical pain daily, mental health issues. That includes anxiety, mania, depression, It includes eating situations we have. We eat too much. We eat too little. We have physical things going on inside of us that are not working, right? Jesus said no to Paul, right? That sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Oh, my gosh. God doesn't want to take my pain away? He is evil. He is a tyrant. But here's what he said, and here's what he's saying to every single one of you. Here's what he's saying to me, because all of you guys know I have some issues. He is saying... That thing that you think is hurting you the most, that is the very thing I want to use to make our relationship better and more beautiful and more real. Think about it. What is it? What's going through your head? That is the very thing that God wants to use to draw him near to you. And he's going to keep it there because without it, you wouldn't look to him. You wouldn't even think twice about him. And not only that, as if it doesn't get better, he says, that thing that you think is killing you, not only is it going to draw you closer to me, but other people are going to see me through you, through your weakness, through your transparency, through your realness, through your rawness. Those of you who are trying to put out this fake religious idea that you have it put together, let me remind you, you don't. And God knows. The people around you know too. In Christianity, power is only found in weakness. It's part of what separates 
our faith from any other system that has ever existed or will ever exist. It's not about you and I trying to be high and mighty and cool with God. That'll send us right to the hot place, right? Christianity is about you and I admitting how weak, frail, transparent, and sinful we really are. And God meets you there, and he rewards you, and he uses you. That's what Christianity is. Now, that's not too common of a message in our context here in the South, right? That might be troubling some of you who have never actually heard the message preached, but let me remind you one more time. In Christianity... Power is only found in weakness. Right? So here's what we're going to do. I want us to to see how God, um, he's balanced about this. He talks about it throughout his whole story. Remember, guys, the Bible is not just a random book of, like, moral instructions by 67 different authors that don't really have any flow to it. It's a simple story, right? As beginning, a beautiful ending, something went terribly wrong. A hero has to come in and save the day. And there's a happily ever after. We believe that's how the Bible reads. Right? So I want, to tell you, I want to tell you a little bit about how God looks at power. And I'm going to trace it through the Bible real quick. And I want this to encourage you. I want this to inspire you. Okay? That you can understand the Bible. You can understand how it all points to Jesus and not yourself. Okay? So first, in Genesis, all right, we usually start with creation, right? How did, how did power work at creation? Uh, I actually want to talk about it before. Did y'all know that before God created anything? I didn't know this until recently. Before God even created anything, he'd been existing for eternity. Forever and ever. Right off the bat, that challenges us and our little brains that want to figure God out. Forever, before he created anything, God was there. And then the question is, what was he doing? Was God just like, it's kind of boring. I need to create a world. No, God was basking. Look here, enjoying himself and his glory and his power forevermore before the world even existed. That's what he was doing, right? And then God created the world. In most faith systems, there's this like lonely God up there who like is really insecure and it creates a world so that people will worship him and he'll feel kind of special. That's how most faith systems work, at least the old ones. And there's all these gods and they're vying for power and they're vying for prestige. Check this out, guys. Look here. When God created the world, he did it because he wanted to share his power. He wanted to share his power with you, with me, with everyone. That's why he did it. You might remember, he says that human beings are created in his image. What does that mean? First of all, we often butcher that word, what it means to be made in his image. When I mean butcher, I mean like we cut it in half and we don't get the big picture. Right? Some of you might have heard, to be made in God's image means that you are like him. You are like God in some ways. You can think, you can feel, you can reason, you can create things, you appreciate beauty. Right? You're, you're made in the image of God, and that's wonderful. But sometimes we miss the other half of that. Guys, here... To be made in the image of God, check this out, please. It means that you are a Lord. You. You're a co-creator with God. You are a, what he calls, vice-regent. 
You're a co-lord. You and I. And it's like, what? What are you talking about? That's what God calls you. You're called to receive his power and to share it with others in life-giving, liberating ways. That's what you and I are called to do. But then this thing called the fall happened, right? Instead of doing things with God's power in life-giving, liberating, beautiful ways, we now use it in abusive, oppressive, self-centered ways. That's what happened at the fall. Now we don't even like God and his power. We don't want to use God's power to help others. We want to say, uh, no, God, I'm my own power. I'm my own Lord. I'm my own master. And I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what happened at the fall. Do you see it? We've gone from life-giving to hoarding and abusive. That's what happens. And you, that is where you are. That is where I am without the help of a God who meets us in our weakness. You are stuck there. You can't not be there unless God comes down and releases you from that. It doesn't matter, gentlemen. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how good your school's going. It doesn't matter how many good organizations you give money to. It doesn't matter how attractive your wife is. You are stuck there. You are obsessed with yourself. But this is the next chapter in the story. God enters into mankind. Right? He enters. I can't do it through my good works. I can't do it through my spirituality. I can't do it through political systems. All these things are fine. But that won't fix us. God has to come. That's the next chapter in the story. He comes in Jesus. He releases us from ourself. Right? That's what he does. And now, if you believe in Jesus and not yourself, if you put away your self-righteousness and you look to him, you now have the ability to actually love people and to actually share God's power with people. You can do that now. That's the next chapter in the story. Right? And you do that until you die or Jesus comes back. Right? So the kind of the title of this talk is Powerful Weapons for the Weak and the Needy. I'm going to go into three weapons that you have if you admit you are weak and needy. If you can't do that, this is going to frustrate you. This is going to annoy you. Um, but for those who are weak and needy, it will be very encouraging and powerful. All right. Before I get in there, this isn't, I'm not just talking about for you, right? These weapons, right? We don't understand this in the West, in America, in the South. This aren't just for you and I and our little bitty personal relationships with our little bitty God that we put in a box and want him to serve us the way we want to. These gifts are for community. This is that you're supposed to use these with each other, right? We know this deep down, don't we? Those of us who are lonely, we know that to be isolated is to be unhuman. We know it's like taking a fish out of water. We know we're going to suffocate and die. These weapons are for community, to work with God's people who love you, who you love, and who you want to serve and share. That's what this is for, right? And it's not enough. Hear me out. It's not enough to do the southern religious thing where it's like, I'll check my Sunday box and I'll check my personal relationship with God box and hopefully everything's cool. That's not cool. You can do that till the day you die and when you stand before God, it will not be good. 
Hear me out, please. God wants every aspect of your life to be infused with him and his grace. And insofar as we are weak and needy and willing to do that, we will enjoy him. But we have to let go of this idea that we can do it ourselves. Here's the first weapon, right? This isn't an exhaustive list, but it's three weapons that you have. Check it out. You already have these. One, you have the bloody cross. In some sense, this is like the only weapon. But this is where we're reminded, you guys. Guys, this is where we're reminded of what makes sense out of reality. The bloody cross. This is another thing that sets Christianity apart. I can't work my way up to God with religion. I can't look into myself for God and spirituality. God has to come down. And he has to suffer. Remember, friends, you and I were so bad. We were so evil. We were so disgusting. You and I were disgusting in God's sight until Jesus came, right? And through that bloody cross, now he sees you as beautiful and clean and pure. Blood is the check stub. He rose and the check cleared. But please remember with me, I need so much help remembering this. For us to live, Christ had to die in our place. For us to be beautiful, Christ had to become our ugliness for us. Right? Some of us are like, what are you talking about? Why are you preaching the gospel to me? Why? I get that. Let's get beyond the basics here. You know what I mean? And that's how I used to think too. But friends, I mean, this is like the beginning, the middle, the end. We, we say it all the time. It's the A to Z. We have to be reminded of what happened or else we'll turn to our own power. Jesus took your and I place so that we could be loved and not hated. Jesus took yours and my place so we could experience happiness and glory forevermore. It's only through Jesus. Here's the caution legacy. If we leave out the bloody cross, we leave out God. And we'll be judged for it. But here's the encouragement. Here's the amazing good news. If we receive the bloody cross... God sees us as beautiful and lovely, precious in his sight, because we've taken away all this idea that I can do anything, that I can contribute to this. And he meets us, and he gets the glory, and he's the hero, not us, through the bloody cross. Second weapon, and those of you who are hurting right now, you know this. You have the word of God and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put those together. You have the word of God and the Holy Spirit. You already have it. It's not like, hey, if I... Decide? No, you have it. Through faith in Jesus, you already have it. Right? I just want to remind us of this. I need to be reminded of this all the time. The Word is your Father in Heaven's Word to you. It's His heart to you. It's His voice. It's His story. It's His will. It tells you of who He is and how awesome He is. It reminds you that it's not about you. Some of you guys have a very hard time reading the Word. Some of it is because you just desperately want it to be about you. And it just frustrates you when you get in the Word because it exposes you, right? It's uncomfortable. 
That's how God designs it. It's not like God was like, hmm, how can I come up with as boring a system of communication as possible? Right? No, he, he, he did this on purpose. Right? He did it on purpose. It's there. It never goes anywhere. It's for us. It's with us through the word. And remember, he gives you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God himself. He works through those who are in the word. He reminds you that the word is like your food. We just got done with a you know, short series on spiritual gifts. And it's been really encouraging to me, really challenging to me on who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. Um, I want to focus on just a minute for the Holy Spirit um, as he applies to your life um, with people who don't believe in God, right? I want to talk about that for a minute. We've been talking a lot about how he relates to community, but I want to talk about how he relates um, with people who don't know God. So remember, guys, when, when you come into the presence of God and you say, God, I believe you. I believe that you, you alone can, can make me acceptable in your sight. You alone make me free. You alone save me from the penalty of sin. Right? Remember, there's other things you say, too. You say, God, you're saving me from the power of sin. Right? Don't we forget about that? Right now, you're saving me from the power of sin. And then don't we forget something else? God, I'm in your presence right now. How often do we forget that? We're sitting with God in the heavenlies right now. Right? And then we go, and not only that, God, but you're living inside of me now? And it's just like, what? What is going on? All this right now? And we look at our king, and we say, I love you. (laughs) Why did you do this for me? And he says, because I love you, dear son. And God says to you, he says to me, and look here, if you don't know this, like this is very foundational. He looks at you and says, I need you to do one thing. And we say, yeah, I'll do whatever you want. You saved me from destruction. You've given me your Holy Spirit, your people, everything. I'll do whatever you want, king. And the king says, you know that prison that I saved you from? I want you to go back in there. Right? Because there are a lot of other people who are still in slavery to their self. They're shackled. Right? And I'm appointing you to go free them. And of course we're like, what? Dude, I'm so jacked up. Are you serious? And he says, yeah, I'm doing it though. You just open your mouth and love people. I'll do the hard work. So keep that in mind. If you believe in Jesus, you already have the Holy Spirit. You can get some teaching and training, no doubt, on what it looks like to love people who don't know God, but you already have him. That's the good news. You don't have to work to achieve it. You already have him. You already have the Holy Spirit. You're already free. You're already a missionary. Isn't that amazing? It's all a gift. Like, everything's a gift. It just, like, totally throws us off. 
right? The third weapon, for those of you who are weak and needy and know that God needs to be your hero, it's your future home. Some of us need to take a note of that. I need to take a note of that. Your future home is a weapon that you have now, especially those of you who are in pain and you're hurting and you're suffering. Thinking about eternity is a wonderful thing. Thinking about the home that your father has prepared for you where there will be no more sickness or pain or none of this stuff. Our father tells us constantly to be motivated by the future reality of what is to come. Are you doing that? I don't know how good I am at doing that. I want you to consider um, doubting some of these one-liners you have about the future that I have, that we're taught. I'm just going to go through a few of them. You know the one-liners? You know what I'm talking about, about the future, how we cope. Everything's going to be okay. All right? We're going to get through this before too long. Everything happens for a reason. That's just the way it is. That's the way life goes, right? We say these things like, I mean, like air. It's weird. But guys, there's one thing missing. None of those bring God into the equation. The God who's rescuing you and taking you home, who's taking me home, right? It's missing from all these things. It's atheistic in some sense. We need to bring God to bear into it, okay? Please, I'm like sitting here begging myself and begging us, please receive the gift of thinking about God in your future home. Please receive that. It's a wonderful gift that you have. It'll help you through tough times with God's people. Right? But as we're thinking about the future, here's the thing. We can't forget about today. Like, I, I, I kind of grew up in this idea that, like, you meet God, and then he's like, okay, cool, nice to meet you. Uh, I'll see you at Judgment Day. I got a lot of other things to do, you know what I mean? Like, like, you see him once. You see him twice, like once when you meet him and once at the end, you know what I mean? But here's the thing. You have him every second of every day, right? That's what these weapons are for, day-to-day living. God wants to get you and I to a point where we can't do anything to fix our situation out of our own ability and power. And guys, I'm leveling with you, right? That's very countercultural because from the day we're born, I mean, I have to be strong and I have to get good grades so that I can even be in school so I can have a good GPA, right? And then after that, I have to have a good resume. I have to, I have to be put together, right? Everything's about, me, you know, in some sense, I, ha- I have to do it, and that's just the way it is. But just remember, in the, in the kingdom of God, it's not like that. We're made to be dependent on our wonderful God. All right. Here's the big idea. Um, the power of God is found in weakness alone. Remember, the infinite God entered the world as a weak man, Jesus. Jesus came to release us from slavery to ourself, to our goodness, to our cuteness, to this idea that we're pretty good. He came to release us from that so that we might actually give him the glory as the hero. 
infinite God came as a fragile man. And the same Jesus who rescued us is restoring the world. And he actually uses us to do it, which is kind of crazy. Right? I just have one quote here real quick. There's a guy named Paul Tripp. He's kind of a pastor of pastors, I guess. I'm going to read this real quick. I know it's like breaking rules, but Paul Tripp says, Our weakness will not get in the way of what the Lord wants to do in us. Our delusions of strength will. The power of God is for the weak. The grace of God is for the unable. The promises of God are for the faint. The wisdom of God is for the foolish. That's pretty good news that it's all, it's all about Jesus and what he's done. Um, it's going to make some of us uncomfortable. I want to ask a few questions to, to see if we're on guard against our delusions of strength. And make no mistake, I, I, I go through these and it hurts. Um, I want to ask a few questions, Legacy, of us collectively. And those of you who are checking us out, just hopefully be encouraged. <laughs> um, Legacy, do we find ourselves literally or figuratively on our knees just desperately asking for the help of God? I'm not talking about ritualistic, boring, shame-based prayer. I'm just saying, like, do we cry out to God? Do we need him? Three questions. Second one. <laughs> Legacy, some of us, we're okay by God's grace. We're, we're doing pretty good at being real about our weaknesses and our sins and our problems. But do you really want to receive the, the strength and power of God to conquer these things in your life? Do you actually want to receive that power? Or are we just kind of actually comfortable in our weakness and our sin? We don't really want to grow and, dare I say, achieve victory over it. Are we comfortable with it? We have the power of God already through Christ. Please don't mock the power of God. Some of you say, well, I didn't mean to. There's a lot of things we're not aware that we're doing. We've got to be careful about that. Last thing. Please, let's be careful about going to people before we go to God. Whether it's TV people, Jennifer Aniston, whether it's music, One Direction, athletes, LeBron James, pastors. Let's be careful about going to people before God please. He's better. God's better. The people that you go to before God, he actually created that person. See how God makes himself known. I want to make a particular um, correction. Let's be careful about going to uh, pastors and teachers before God. They're incredibly important. Um, But your God wants to communicate with you on a far deeper level than any human can lead you to. Um, And this is just the, this is just the ending legacy. The, this God we're talking about today, he's real. Um, his power is made perfect in weakness alone. He's not going to let us be like the millions of people or hundreds of thousands who, you know, fell apart when the show Friends ended, okay? Um, he's going to get us through the deepest, darkest times. Um, the thorns in our flesh, like Paul, you know, the physical thing, 
Um, He's going to use those to draw him closer to us so that our relationship will get better. We'll serve people better. Right? People will leave us. This is going to sound dark, but, you know, people will leave you. Some of you in this room will die of cancer. Some of your relationships will seem to fall apart. All these terrible things will happen. And it's during these times that we need to be on guard. Do I truly love God? Or is it just this southern religious thing? And whenever something hard happens, I'm going to bounce. You know what I'm saying? These things are coming, and we're going to need these weapons. And some of you are going through it right now. But God's power is made perfect in weakness. Can you pray with me real quick?